Today we're talking about encouragement. By the way, I want to thank you for your response to our opportunity to help last week, uh, the family who had lost everything in a fire. Um, I know that we collected over $1,200, plus there were other gifts, and so really awesome, and thank you for that, and way to step up. I know that was an encouragement to everybody involved, and certainly encouraged me, so thank you for that. Um, One of the ways uh, we encourage one another is uh, in sporting events, and so you've heard of the home field advantage, right? You've heard of that? Well, there was some research done about that, and I kind of wanted to read it to you. Uh, There's a a website called Freakonomics, and they talk about this particular thing about sports. And, and one of the ways people have always um, talked about or thought about uh, being encouraged, being the home field advantage of being encouraged, is that you win more at home. And that really is true. Let me look at a couple st- stats here. Um, this is kind of interesting to me. Home field advantage for Major League Baseball. Uh, Major League Baseball teams, home teams win 54% of the games. That would be the home field advantage of whoop these stinking do. I mean, that's not that much, right? Um, the NHL, <laughs> who cares? Um, the NFL, uh, NFL home teams win about 58% of the games. That's pretty good. NBA, 60.5% of the games. And Major League Soccer, nearly 70% of the home field uh, advantage for games. So, they did the research. It, wh- wh- what's the cause of the home field advantage? Now, you know, there's kind of been speculation, well, it's because, you know, you get to, if you're the athlete, you get to sleep in your own bed and you know your surroundings and you're, um, you're the process is kind of the same for you and everything kind of goes the way it always goes. Well, that wasn't proven to be true. Um, the other idea was, okay, what about, um, uh, we know the facilities better. So if we're going to the locker room, we know where our locker is and we know where the bathrooms are and that sort of thing. And we know on the basketball court where the dead spots are and that sort of thing. Not so much. Uh, There was this idea around, okay, what about crowd support? Crowd support will make the difference. And if you go and cheer for your team, I want you to know it makes basically no difference at all. What does make a difference? This is super interesting to me. Um, In one word, their their, uh, diagnosis of this, their, their analysis of this is, in one word, the thing that makes the most difference is the refs. Listen. Um, they found that home teams essentially get slightly preferential treatment from the officials, whether it is a called third strike in baseball or in soccer, a foul that results in a penalty kick. By the way, you'll notice that the uh, uh, pro soccer was almost 70% home field advantage. It's because the referees have more of a say in who wins and who doesn't win. Kind of interesting. They found that's clear, however, an important nuance. Official bias is likely quite um, involuntary. So, South Carolina fans, basically the only reason you lost was because Clemson played at home and the refs cheated you out. Uh, So, I want you to know that. My encouragement to you, uh, right there. Now, Kentucky, on the other hand, beat Louisville at their place, which is from God. Yes. Um, If you were in Kentucky today, and you're a Kentucky fan, there is much rejoicing. Uh, We sang our hearts out in our churches in Kentucky today because we beat Louisville, who we hate, in the love of Jesus. All right, so, okay. All right, so, anyway. Now, um, you've been around healthy people, maybe not at Thanksgiving, but if, if you're around a healthy person, you're at Thanksgiving meal, and healthy people will say stuff like, you know, eat right and exercise. And we all, we all roll our eyes internally, and we, we want to just say, shut up. Uh, you know, we don't, but 
the encouragement they give us is you eat right and you exercise, and this will give you a healthy body. And some of us have given up on that a long time ago. But, but uh, it's nice. It's encouraging. And they tell you this is something you should do daily. Eat right daily. I mean, no, I, I ate right three weeks ago. Uh, but uh, evidently you're supposed to do it every day. And I exercised a couple of days ago, but every day. Every day. It's every day. Well, the Bible talks about encouragement sort of like this. That we are to be encouragers. And we're not just to do it occasionally it's to be done all the time. And it's not, we understand the value of, of people encouraging us, but what we sometimes miss is the value of us becoming encouragers. And so there's this text, oops, in Hebrews that says, My friends, watch out. Now, anytime you see a text like this where there's an exclamation point and there's a watch out, I always think when I'm with my kids, when they were little at least, and they were like heading toward the road and, and they weren't watching, my response would be, watch out. And it wouldn't be like kind of friendly. It's, I yell and I scream and whatever it takes to get their attention is what I would do because their little lives were important to me. I didn't want them to get squished, right? And so I would yell and I would do what it took to get their attention. That's sort of the force behind this this. Uh, These words, watch out. I mean, really watch out. So he said, my friends, watch out. Don't let evil thoughts or doubts make any of you turn from the living God. You must encourage one another each day. Encourage one another, how how often? Each day, daily. It's kind of something we're supposed to do. Um, And you must uh, keep on while there's still time that will be called today. If you don't, then sin may fool some of you and make you stubborn. So there's this idea. He's telling us what not to do. He's telling us what to do. And if we're, uh, if we're not encouraging, it evidently comes from, look at what it says here, um, from evil thoughts. Don't let evil thoughts cause you to be discouraging. Now, two weeks ago I had a birthday. And evidently, some people with evil thoughts sent me birthday cards. Because I want to show some of them to you. These are not from God. I wish every day was your birthday because then you'd really look your age. See, that is not nice. Certainly not from encouragement. Um, You know you're getting old when the candles cost more than the cake. Not encouraging to me, honestly. Um, Birthdays are like boogers. The more you have, the harder it is to breathe. Not encouraging. (laughs) Nothing encouraging about that. Uh, Smile while you still have teeth. That is not encouraging. So if that was some of you... Uh, you should repent, and the altar will be open after the service. Okay, so, so he, he, he says, hey, don't do that. Uh, don't be discouraging. Rather, be encouraging. And we live in a world where it's not incredibly encouraging. I mean, it takes about, if you get up and you check the news or, or you look at your Twitter feed or whatever, it doesn't take long to be discouraged and That's not what we're supposed to be about. In fact, the Bible just clearly says we who are followers of Christ are commanded to be encouragers. Now, I had a good example growing up. I had the opportunity to go back to Kentucky this uh, for Thanksgiving, and and my my dad passed away several years ago. But I can't go back there without thinking of my dad and and kind of seeing things that remind me of my dad and just stuff he said. And my dad was a truck driver, and he also kind of on the side sold cars, and so. We, we had a, uh, I had opportunity when I was uh, in my 20s to help him a little bit. And 
he, he knew some people in a different town, and we would go there and get cars and bring them to our town and sell them. That's kind of one of the things we did. And so one day, we had gone to Campbellsville, that's the town, and uh, we had picked up a, a kind of a new car. It was new to us. It wasn't new, but it was a new used car. And we were driving back to Danville, my hometown, that's where we were going to sell it. Now, um, I mentioned my dad was a truck driver. My dad could really, really drive. And I've started to say when I'm driving places and people don't know how to drive, I'll just say they didn't have a good daddy like I had to teach me because my dad was just really good at, at driving. He knew, he knew little tricks and stuff. And so we were driving back. It was a curvy road, kind of rainy, and uh, I was trying to keep up with him because he was in front. And I mean, he, <laughs> he could drive, man. He was, he was crazy good. And so I topped this one hill. I, I, I can still see it in my mind. I topped this one hill, and, and it kind of veered right, and then it curved to the left. And uh, I topped the hill, and I went right, and I never stopped going right. And I slid off the road. And you've seen fences. Corner fence posts are big and thick, and they're there for a reason. And my car collided with this fence post. Now, this wasn't our car. This was a car that we kind of took on consignment to sell for somebody else. Now, um, you, you put yourself in that driver's seat because I just basically smashed a car that wasn't ours that we were going to sell. And my dad had every right to be mad. I'll never forget this. So I get out of the car. I hit it kind of straight on. My, the, my front bumper kind of bent around this pole. And, and I got out of the car and my dad turned around and came back. And first thing he asked me was, are you okay? And I said, yeah, Daddy, I'm sorry, I just, I slid off. And he said, oh, son, it's, I was going a little bit too fast, and these roads are slippery, and uh, it's kind of not your fault. It's not really your fault. Well, whose fault was it? I was driving. He, he took my blame, and he put it on himself. I'll never forget that. Because he had the opportunity. And, and if he had have just gotten crazy mad at me, and, and I mean, I would have understood. I, would have been, I was mad at myself. And he, he, he took that. I, I'll never forget that. We, we have these opportunities to be encouragers. My daddy encouraged me that day in, in ways that I, just, I still remember that. My dad was good at this. Um, when he was younger, he worked in a factory. And there was a guy beside him, my dad was about my height, 6'1 or so, and there was a guy that he worked with who was shorter, and, and part of the job was putting things on a top shelf, and this co-worker couldn't reach it, and my dad would do that for him, kind of get off his line and go help this, this guy. And I remember we were working together, my dad and I, and this guy showed up one day, I just, we were at the muffler shop, we owned a muffler shop, and this guy came in, and, and he pulled me aside to say to me, I can't ever tell your dad enough how much he helped me because he, he, the reason I kept that job was because your dad helped me. I mean, that's the kind of encouraging things that we're talking about. And the big idea for us is that we are to be encouragers. This is kind of supposed to be the DNA of Christ followers. This is what we do. Now, Mother Teresa was one of the best at this. And she said, let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness, kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, kindness in your smile. And she was known as being this encourager. Now today we're going to look at one of the greatest encouragers in Scripture. 
a guy named Joseph. Well, let's just jump in. Uh, Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So his name was Joseph. We know him as Barnabas. He had a black belt in, in encouraging. And uh, if uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was here today, he would say, I'm the encourager. That, that's who he was. He was the encourager. And we're going to talk about what did he do that was, I mean, to, to be known as the encourager, good grief, you had to be pretty good at it. So what kind of things did Barnabas do to be known as the encourager? Because i got to tell you, our world, our community would be vastly different if we would just become encouragers. So let's look at what he did. Number one, he looked for opportunities, and we can look for opportunities to encourage. If you want to be one, you've got to look for those opportunities. They're everywhere. You just have to find them and take them. So let's kind of look at sort of the, how we're introduced to Barnabas, the encourager. It's found in Acts 9. Now, when Saul came to Jerusalem, Saul, you know, it became Paul, and he wrote much of the New Testament. When Saul became, uh, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Well, there's a reason for this. Paul, uh, Saul had, had been uh, terrorizing Christians all over the, the, the kingdom. I mean, he, he would seek people out so that they would renounce their faith in Christ. He was... He was a, a Shiite uh, a Jew. I mean, he, he, was, uh, he, he was on a mission to make sure that Christianity was stomped out. And, and he uh, was just, he was rabid trying to wipe out Christianity. I mean, it, it's just kind of his deal. So all the Christians were scared of him. It makes sense. He shows up in Jerusalem. He wants to hang out with the Christians. They're like, we don't think so. We don't think so, bro. I mean, you know. We're happy and all that you're not killing us right this second. But, but think about it from their perspective. It could easily have been he wanted to get in their group and then you know, infiltrate the group and then rat them all out and kill them all. That's kind of, I, I would think that. I'm very cautious. And so they were all afraid of him for good reason, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, Barnabas, this is how I piece this together. Barnabas heard about Saul. I mean, he had a reputation. It wasn't like people didn't know who he was. He had a reputation for being against Christians, and now all of a sudden he's preaching pro-Christ. And that doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, instead of just being fearful, Barnabas went evidently and listened to him. Because Barnabas, Barnabas was able to say, hey, look, this is what happened to him. He's telling his story. His story is he was on the road to Damascus, and, and Jesus showed up and knocked him on the ground and blinded him. And he had this encounter with Christ, and Christ commissioned him right there to be an apostle and to, to preach, and he's been preaching, and he's telling this story, and I vouch for him. My reputation is at stake. I vouch for him. This is what he did. This is what, this is kind of like when you have a resume and you put references at the end, this is what they do. They vouch for you. When, when I was a young pastor, I had kind of started at a church in, uh, in Kentucky, and, 
And uh, one of the former pastors at that church had, had gone kind of really big in the SBC. He was kind of really prominent. And I met him a couple times. And, and it was sort of time I felt like God was telling me hey, it's time to move on. And one of the things, on your references, who do you put? You don't put the bag lady up at Kroger. You know, you, you put uh, who you consider important people. This is what you do. Kind of who you do. You can't put your wife, because she's probably going to say good things about you, more than likely. Uh, so you have to find somebody that's important to put on your, re- your reference list. So that's what I, I tried to do. I called this guy. I said, hey, man, would you mind being a reference for me? <laughs> and he said, yes, I would mind. I don't know you. Well, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> You're important. I need you. Come on. Uh, yeah. He said, I don't, know, I don't know you well enough to vouch for you. Like, okay, I mean, I, I absolutely get that. One of the things as a pastor that you have to do sometimes is vouch for people. Um, there was a couple at my church in Michigan, and they were looking to adopt, and we had to sign, I, I approved them as adoptive parents. Well, I didn't know this couple very well. So Miriam and I, we took them to dinner, and we, had, we hung out with them a little bit, just so we could say with good conscience, I, I, I throw my support toward these, this couple. Well, this is what Barnabas did. He, he threw his support to Paul. It's like, hey guys, I mean, y'all, y'all don't have to accept him. It's okay if you don't accept him. It's kind of on you. But let me tell you, let me tell you, I approve. I've seen what he's doing. I, I've heard his story. I guarantee he'd been with him. He'd probably had, you know, meals with him. Uh, he, he'd had conversations with him. He, he had been with him. And, and he said, I, I vouch for him. Be an encourager. Don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to vouch for people you don't know. Get to know them. That's the whole point. Barnabas took the time to get to know Paul so he could vouch for him. Look for opportunities. The second thing is put ego aside. Now, look at this verse. Kind of cool. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He went there. He said, hey, man, come with me. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Antioch is a town uh, many people believe that Barnabas started the church in Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Here's the tale of this. This is what this is about. It's almost as if Barnabas took this church as far as he could, and then he called in Saul, who was obviously empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great teaching and, and was God-anointed, and he brought him in. It's almost as if he, he gave him the reins to the kingdom of the church at Antioch. Hey, man, take us to the next level. I've taken us as far as I can. You take us to the next level. Man, you talk about putting your ego on the shelf. Barnabas was a guy who said, you know what, I've, I've done all I can here. And now I'm going to get Saul to come alongside me and, and we're going to take it to the next level. Looking out for the organization, putting the organization above yourself. This, this is what Barnabas did. I've read a really kind of funny story a couple of weeks ago. Um, a few years ago, Butterball Turkey, they had a hotline for people who didn't know how, maybe how to cook their turkey or what, you know, what to do. And So this one lady called up and she asked if she could cook her turkey that had been in the freezer for 23 years. Evidently it was tucked away someplace, I, I don't know. Now, the operator told her that um, if it had been frozen and if it had been below zero for all those years, it would probably be okay. But then she said, 
Even if it were safe, the flavor had probably deteriorated. And she wouldn't recommend eating it. This is the woman's response. That's what we thought. We'll just give it to the church. Uh, <laughs> that's beautiful. Okay. Um, I, I, I talked to a missionary one time. He had been a missionary in, in uh, uh, China or Japan. I, can't, I think it was Japan. And he said that <laughs> there would be little WMU groups from the States who would send them used tea bags. Like that's still, I mean, so we do this sort of crazy stuff. Barnabas put the organization above himself, and, and he vouched for Paul. This is what we're supposed to do. In James it says, suppose a believer, whether a man or woman, needs clothing or, or food, and one of you tells that person, God be with you, stay warm, and make sure you eat enough, but you don't provide for that person's physical needs. What good does it do? Barnabas didn't just talk to Paul. He, uh, he embraced him. He helped him. He shared life with him. He encouraged him, and, and he, he put, kind of put Paul above himself. And in fact, in, in Philippians, Paul writes about this. In humility, consider others better than yourself. He'd seen a guy that had done that, not just Christ, but he'd seen Barnabas do that as well. And Barnabas and Paul, they become fast friends, and they go on the first missionary journey together. And they take a young man by the name of John Mark, just so happened to be Barnabas's cousin, it seems as if encouragers always look for people to encourage. They're kind of always looking for a project, somebody to mentor. And I would almost guarantee you that when they started the journey, Barnabas said, hey man, let's take John Mark. I think he would be, he's young, but we can groom him, and he's going to be great. And they get on the journey, and John Mark, for whatever reason, doesn't do very well. He, they take him on the mission trip, and he's either frightened, or he's a mama's boy, or whatever. But he goes home. In the middle of the project, in the middle of, of the trip. And Paul doesn't forget this. And that brings me to the third point. Encouragers look for opportunities to encourage. They uh, put their ego aside. And thirdly, thirdly, they don't give up on people. So let's see how this plays out. They're about ready to go on the second missionary journey. Paul says, hey, let's, let's go back and check out the churches. Well, look at what he says. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word for the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's go check up on these churches that we've established and that we've encouraged. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, Paul had a reason for not wanting to take this little guy. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. That's, that's a really sad sentence. You have friends who have worked together. They have such a sharp disagreement that they part company. That's, that's really a sad sentence. And Barnabas took Mark and he sailed for Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and he went another direction. That's a, really, it's a pretty sad text, honestly. But Barnabas was so committed to, to being an encourager, that he wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to give up on John Mark. Look, the guy made a mistake. Yes, he made a mistake. Can you hear this conversation as they sit around the table? Paul's like, I'm not taking that guy. He, he abandoned us. He abandoned ship. And can't you just hear Barnabas saying, yeah, but Paul, 
He deserves another opportunity. He, he was young. Just like my dad did for me. He, he was young. He, he didn't know any better. Don't you think he deserves a second chance? And Paul's like, I don't think so, man. This is too important. And Barnabas was such an encourager that he was willing to fracture a relationship for the sake of a cousin who needed his support. It's a beautiful thing, I think. We all need second chances. There's a story, by the way, from social services in Greenville, South Carolina. You all know that place, right? Uh, Evidently, a few years ago, uh, quite a few years ago, over 20 years ago, uh, they sent out this letter. Your food stamps will be stopped effective March because we have received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if there's a change in your situation, which is very nice. I think that's very nice. Um, we live in a kind of a one strike and you're out. If you make a mistake, then we, you're irredeemable. We, we can't bring you back. And yet, there's John Mark. And I think it's incredibly interesting that Barnabas vouches for this young man. They go and they do good work. Paul goes in another direction with Silas and they do good work. And eventually, eventually, John Mark becomes one of Paul's great friends. And, and here's a principle. When someone puts their trust in you, others take notice. And somebody put their trust in John Mark, and Paul took notice. And later he writes this, Paul writes this, get along with each other and forgive each other. He knew better, he just didn't do it. If someone does you wrong, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. He knew better. He knew better. Barnabas was encouraging even when John Mark didn't deserve it. And you can be encouraging even when people don't deserve it. Now, I would suspect that John Mark had said, hey, I've turned over a new leaf. I've learned from my mistakes. I mean, there are times when people just kind of keep making mistakes and mistakes and mistakes. And they don't, I I would think John Mark had a, a measure of repentance in here. And so, we are called to not give up on people. So, how do you do it? Some, some, some practical steps. Some practical steps. Number one, think before you speak. It's always important. Words have this amazing power. Chuck Swindoll talks about a woman who committed suicide and she left a note. And on the note, all she wrote was, they said. Uh, the Bible talks about the power of words. The tongue has the power of life and death. And, and in James, James says, My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Be quick to listen, Slow to speak. I read a story about a lady. She was reading the newspaper online, and she, her husband was watching a game at the same time, and, and she kind of laughed out loud, and it annoyed him a little bit because he's trying to listen to the game. You know, guys, how that works. And she said, honey, look at the, listen to this ad. There's a, a husband in here, and he's willing to trade his wife for season tickets. And he kind of grunted, and she said, you wouldn't do that, would you? And he said, no, season's half over. Uh, so, you've got to think before you speak. It's really important. Another thing, and I've already said this, but it's kind of worth repeating. Look for opportunities to encourage. You've got to look for opportunities to encourage. A couple verses here. Look at this. If your gift is encouraging others, do it. Some people are naturally great at it. I had a youth pastor growing up. His name is Larry Cordell, and he lives in Knoxville now. And Larry was, oh, 
You couldn't be around that guy without being encouraged. He always saw the best in you. He always spoke that to you. I love that about Larry. He, he always, I always felt like a million bucks being around Larry. And then 1 Thessalonians. So some people are gifted at it. But 1 Thessalonians says, encourage one another and build each other up. Even if it's not your thing. Even if you're sort of negative. You still have this command. We're commissioned to be encouragers. I found this little video this week. And I, I wanted to show it to you about how to put encouragement into practice. And so I'm going to show this to you. And then we'll, we'll close right after this. If you're a fan of high school basketball, you're not alone. But if you're a fan of the Gainesville Tornadoes in Gainesville, Texas, then you are alone. Usually, our fan base was close to zero. My parents came uh, one game, but they didn't come to the other ones because they didn't have time. The other students at Gainesville don't come to the games either, mostly because they can't get out. This is a juvenile correction facility for felony offenders. And one of the few perks here, for very good behavior, is a chance to leave the prison a few times a year to play basketball. They play against private schools like Vanguard College Prep in Waco. And it was before that recent matchup that two Vanguard players announced they weren't going to play against a team with no fans. No one likes playing in an empty gym. But isn't that supposed to be a good thing for you? You don't have the other fans cheering against you? I guess, but... It just seems weird, you know, it just didn't seem right. So, before their home game against Gainesville, Hudson Bradley and Ben Martinson asked some of the Vanguard fans for a favor. To cheer for Gainesville instead. The Gainesville players had no idea what was happening. They walked onto the court to find their... (laughs) Even their own fan section... Half the crowd was assigned to cheer for Gainesville. But then as it went on, everybody just kind of got so into it. Nobody was cheering for you. (laughs) Everyone was cheering for them. I mean, every time they scored, the gym was just lit up with cheering and clapping, and everyone was on their feet. This is not what I've ever seen sports be. I think in a way, this is kind of how sports should be. It, It just kind of showed me the real impact that encouragement and support for anybody can make. Hudson says we all need someone to believe in us. We all need someone who knows our mistakes and loves us anyway. And for that, the Gainesville players can't thank those boys enough. It's something I won't forget. When I'm old man, I'm just going to think about this. I'll probably remember this for the rest of my life. And finally, as for who won the game, well, obviously they didn't care. So why should we? It's a pretty cool story, huh? I love that line. We all need someone who knows our mistakes. And loves us anyway. The good news is, we all have someone who knows our mistakes. And loves us anyway. Christ does for us. He knows our mistakes. We can fake it for a while and everybody thinks we're great and all that kind of stuff, but He knows. And He loves us anyway. So encourage each other every day while you have...
the opportunity. This is a command. This is what we're called to do. So let's do it well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you can encourage us today to be encouragers. Thank you for not giving up on us, and thank you that Barnabas modeled for us what it looks like to not give up on people and to put others first and to find the best in people. Help us to find the best. Help us to be an encourager. We love you and we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made and we thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in this season of Thanksgiving, I'm not sure there's anything better to be thankful for. And we pray that we'll walk out of this room with a determination and a challenge to be encouragers. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.